The Messy Middle podcast is hosted on Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free, which considerably helps with all of the production costs you normally have, except that on Anchor, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum audience through sponsorships and monthly contributions from your subscribers. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Alyssa Lenick of Littlest Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. This is a surprise extra season two ender with probably our number one favorite guest of all time, if not maybe number two up there. Bethany and Lily's podcast just blew up in season one. Everyone loved them for right reasons, but I'm bringing Bethany back on today and we are going to talk all things planning outdoors trips, our Zion trip, what we did for this, logistics, training, all of your guys' questions and all the things that you wanted to know so you can plan your next outdoor adventure and or go to Zion using our information that we're going to give you here today. So we wanted to squeeze this in for season two because I know so many of you were so eager and so excited after seeing our trip and our photos and our stories and everything that we shared. You had a ton of questions, so we went ahead and collected those. Um, and we are going to talk today, probably the first half, a little bit more of logistics, trip planning, how that approaches, kind of how I've approached it in the past. Bethany was awesome and basically did all the planning for this trip because my life is a tornado. Um, but I've done this in the past too with my other friends. I just usually am the responsible friend. Luckily, I had Bethany this time around. And then we're going to go into talking about our Zion trip. We'll recap it, share some stories, some giggles, um, things that we wish we had brought, the gear we used, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So to give you guys some background real quick on me, this was actually my second ever backpacking trip. Bethany, was this your second too? Uh, I've done two or three prior. So this was, a, this was a big one just because the logistics of a plane ride and essentially going to the West Coast. Um, mm -hmm. But I've done um, a handful prior, like bigger trips. Yeah, so... We say this with the disclaimer of the fact that we are not like expert backpackers. We haven't done like through hikes or even like very long extended hikes. I've never done anything more than overnight, which is essentially like a hiking and camping. And so I say this not one that for you guys to think that we are like super experts on everything that we're saying. We are just sharing what we know and the information that we have and all of all of the above, but also to hopefully make it feel a little bit more realistic and less intimidating for you if you are also planning your own outdoors or backpacking trips. So knowing that, you know, we are not crazy experts. We don't know everything. I went with very old gear. I went with the same gear that I went when I went there four years ago. Like I didn't buy anything new. And so hopefully hearing this makes you guys feel like the bar to entry to this isn't that high. And like Bethany can even maybe share a little bit how she's done some local shorter solo stuff. Um, and I have always car camped when I've taken my trips in the past, which is not that much different other than this time you're just walking your stuff into the woods with you. So Bethany, I muted you, so you're going to have to mute yourself. 
Hey, I'm back. We are here. Uh, thank you for that. So I'm going to just kind of piggyback off of you, Liz. So as with anything, there's 10 million ways to do something like this. Are there some baseline things that we want to make sure are taken care of with planning, gear, safety, all that? Yeah, absolutely. But your first trip, guys, keep it simple. And we'll, we'll talk more about this, but like, keep it super simple. Keep it local. And as you go, you're going to do a trip and then be like, oh, I probably should have brought this. You know what? Awesome. I'll bring that next time. Or this would have made my life so much easier. Or I'm going to invest in this piece of gear. It's a little bit more expensive, but the value that it brings me is something I want to carry on with me to my next trip. So like, there's no perfect way to plan. Are there some rigid or like some loose guidelines? Yeah, for sure. But like, you just have to do your first trip, make it super local, make it a micro adventure and then build from there. Yeah. So this is something you'll hear Bethany and I maybe use the terms for interchangeably or a lot in this episode is micro and macro adventure. So this is something that sometime, one time I posted this on my story and someone's like, every venture is a macro adventure. But the point of saying micro adventure <laughs> is not to downplay your adventures, but to remove the stress and pressure of thinking that everything has to be a big Zion trip for it to be epic or fun or like a great adventure, right? So you could easily do, and maybe Bethany can recap very shortly what she did, but like she did her first solo backpacking trip a few summers ago and she just went into a trail that was pretty local to her. She drove up to it overnight, hiked in, and then came back out. And so the, 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 the odds of if you mess something up super drastically there are low. Like the worst case scenario, she could have hiked back out and gone to her car and she was, that was easily accessible. She wasn't tens of hundreds of miles away from anywhere that she needed to be. Right. So if you screw up when you do that, or you take a day hike or whatever it is, you kind of know, Oh, I should have brought this. Oh, I should have done this. And like the same thing applies. I know a lot of people ask me about trail running stuff. Like, can't tell you how many times I forgot crap that I wish I brought on long trail runs, but then the next time you remember, right? You remember to bring that thing. And so you don't start with the biggest, scariest thing, but you start easy. So I think the biggest thing is to start local, start small and start with friends. I say those are like the three things to start with. And then not thinking that you need the best perfect gear. You can rent, you can borrow, you can buy cheap, you can buy cheap and plan to, you know, change with someone else or gift it to someone else and buy bigger in the long run. So as you guys heard me say, and I'll say again, I'm using the same cheap gear I bought in 2016 because that works for me right now. Is it optimal? No. Does it work? Yeah. I, I had no issues with it whatsoever. So no, Bethany, I'll let you chime in about your little bit of backpacking experience. Yeah. So that was um, beautifully said. And the biggest thing is just being okay and understanding that's okay to be new at something one and to not have like the super ultra lightweight or sexy scare because like my first big like away solo backtracking trip it was built up from doing local day hikes like a three-hour hike cool i did a six-hour hike then i did a full day hike where i slept in my own bed on both ends and then you slowly build to cool i picked something that was three hours away from my house and i slept in my car the night before in the parking lot which was legal. I had to make sure of that. And then I started my hike the next morning, had all my gear. I knew I did that first leg of like, cool, I can physically do this many miles and be okay. And then I like I did run into some issues with a campsite. So where I was camping, I had zero service and it was almost desolate, which some people love, but I was solo. So I was like, you know what? I want to feel a little bit more comfortable. So I hiked four more miles to a closer 
where there's a little bit more people still away and I had a little bit of service. Um, but knowing that things are always probably going to go wrong and like we just do our best to assess and the more experience you have, the more comfortable you're going to feel with navigating. And like on that trip, I wasn't super into backpacking. Like I kind of was into it hiking. So I, I borrowed a lot of gear for my friend. And I didn't, my pack weighed way too much than it should have. I just didn't know any better. I brought way too much water um, just because I was afraid that the water sp- like source wouldn't be available and whatever it may be, but I still did it. And I, I finished the trip and I learned so much about myself and about what works really great for me um, pack wise, what kind of pack I wanted to invest in because I borrowed a pack. And there are so many things that came from it and you can rent gear. Like you don't have to buy gear. You can buy secondhand gear. You can borrow it from friends. You can rent it. You can buy it full price if you want to. But like sometimes too, you're like, am I really going to love this? Is this something I'm going to want to do forever? So you might have to do an overnight backpacking trip and be like, this sucks or, huh? Okay. I kind of enjoy this. So it's going to build from there. Um, but yeah, that was something I chose. So it was all very micro adventures for me, day trips, things where I'm comfortable, heavy traffic, well-traveled, I had service the whole time. And then I, I made that step to that next little like first overnight trip. And then from there, you build that confidence in either soloing or going with a friend, which is super great too. And then you just continue to those bigger macro adventures. Yeah. So couple things I want to add there when it comes to gear and being new this is where like obviously Bethany went alone but going with friends can be great because for example like I have an REI half dome tent that I would never ever carry for a solo backpacking adventure I brought Regis's big Agus tent we'll talk about gear a little bit later which is also what Bethany has I have a two-person one though um and we did bring our own tents. I know someone's going to ask that. It's two person, but it's still pretty tiny. It's one person. Um, <laughs> but if we had three or four friends, we could have brought my half dome. I think three probably would have been a little. If we had three of us, we could have taken my half dome tent and split up that tent between each of us to carry and have brought one tent. And that would have been a way that like, if we had three friends and my two other friends doesn't have a tent, I can say, Hey guys, well, I have this three person tent. We're going to snuggle, but like we're, we can all sleep in it together and then split up that gear. Right. And that saves room in your pack and things like that. And so if you have friends or a great one for renting is if you guys are a college student or a graduate student, your rec center will most likely have gear. So when I took my first backpacking trip, I didn't have a sleeping pad. And even though a sleeping pad is a pretty cheap thing, I didn't know. I mean, I, I didn't know if I was going to need one again or not. So I just rented a sleeping pad. It was the biggest, bulkiest thing in the world, but it, it works. I strapped it onto my backpack and I went to Zion for that first trip ever and I didn't know any different. And so that's a really great place to start there too. If you're like, well, how, where the heck do I rent? Or if you can't borrow from friends, one, check your local outdoor store. There's always going to be some small local outdoor store that's going to have some dude who's like probably backpack the AT that can tell you everything that you need to know about your life um, that you need. And they might have gear, but if not, check REI if you have one local to you. I'm pretty sure REI does have gear rentals. Your college or university, most likely, depending, obviously, like maybe smaller colleges don't have this. But if you have an outdoor rec part of your college, they most likely have gear rental or they have trips that you can sign up for. Well, they'll give you the gear and take you with a group of people. That would be a great way to get entry level into that. Um, or just talk to people that you know that have things. Even if the pack's a little too big or like, you know, it's it's a little heavier or whatever. It's not going to be perfect that first time, but kind of get your feet wet. See if you like it. And for my first big outdoor trips that I took, we car camped and that's still pretty similar to, so I like car camped and then we would like, you can like car camp and go and eat food at restaurants, wherever you're at, or like pack 
things and use make a big fire or like grill things up or whatever. Or you can car camp and do it how I've done a few other times is where you're car camping, but we're still making our dinner with our little camp stoves. And you're still like eating instant meals and ramen and like easy, lightweight food. So like you can take, you can be really bougie with camping or you can basically camp at the same grade that you would on a backpacking trip out of your car. And that, I did that the one summer when we took a big trip out West. I mean, we sat on the side of gas station parking lots and reheated ramen on our camp stoves, like when we stopped. So like we were still cooking food the same way, still practicing that, still using all the same stuff. We were just kind of in civilization when we did that. So a great way to do that if you still are nervous, like Bethany talked about camping at the parking lot the night before, which if you want to camp at Walmarts, like trucks stations or gas stations, uh, parking lots or parks in general, you can look that up. It does have that information places. So if you, you don't want to get arrested for <laughs> camping anywhere illegally in your car, um, not saying I've ever slept in my car around places. <laughs> um, anyway... Um, but you can look that up, including Walmarts. Literally, I've slept in Walmarts. You have to look that up. You will get in trouble. There's certain ones in like Colorado and out west where they won't let you do it. Um, but you can you can car camp at campsites at the same level of what you would backpacking. You just have your stuff in your trunk of your car. And that's a really great low barrier way because you can camp at campsites that are like in the middle of nowhere remote. Like it's like you're driving there, but there's absolutely no one around other than anyone else camping. And you're still cooking. You're, you're still filtering your water. You're still peeing in a bush you're still eating from a camp stove you know what I mean so I think that's a really great way to also get into that because I think the biggest thing for people is like sleeping in the middle of nowhere where it's quiet and scary and like it, getting used to that when you're somewhere where like okay well worst case scenario my car is right there and for some reason your car just feels a little bit safer than like not having it at all and so those are some great options at least in my experience um obviously I went from backpacking to straight crazy trail runner who like just started running all the miles in a day um and that's just different but I've camped a lot with that but that's kind of how I eased into it. Just like super, super like bougie car camping to a little bit more rugged car camping to like basically backpacking level camping, but your car is just parked like in the same lot as where you're camping kind of thing. And so like, that's the way I've worked down into it. And so I think a lot of things I got asked in the Q and A's and maybe you did too, Bethany, is people were asking me how I worked up to it. And so I won't even backpacking twice, but because I've camped so much, it just, it was like, oh, I'm just camping somewhere that I'm walking to. Yeah. And that was a beautiful progression there. Um, and I think that there's two parts to this. So I think it's very glorified doing these big, epic macro trips where you're overlooking this ridge line and like, yeah, those are super rad and those will come, but we want to build that confidence in those skills and the understanding of, of doing things outdoors first. So kind of piggybacking off you, um, I was talking to somebody about this the other day of, uh, going to a local campground. So very similar to you, like pulling car camping, going to a local campground is a super low barrier entry because you can practice setting your tent up. There are bathrooms there. There is usually water. Like you can still practice doing all these things that you would do in the backcountry at a campground and you are around other people. So you get comfortable just like sleeping outside for the first time is super weird. You're like, what are these sounds? Like all these variables. So just having that, like, 
it makes it less gnarly by sleeping outside first with other people versus like going into the middle of the woods and sleeping because that is something that's very new for most people we're used to sleeping in our super like safe cold nice wonderful bed and you're like oh i'm sleeping on a tent in a tent like on a mattress a blow-up mattress so campgrounds are really great and knowing that like remembering that yes, really cool trips. Like we went on a really rad trip to Zion, but I wouldn't have chose that for my first trip because I needed to build that confidence in understanding landscape, physical capabilities, gear, all that before I did a big trip. So progressing by starting at something super local, like a campground, it's like $35 a night and you get your own tent or you get your own campsite. And then you could still practice doing other things like lighting a stove, learning how to build a campfire. If there's campfires allowed um, on trail, like you need to make sure like that those are legal. Like we couldn't have a campfire in Zion because that was the restriction. So just doing that and just building, you can literally go camping at a local campground and like that'd be super awesome. You don't have to do super backcountry trips unless you want to. Yeah. And keeping in mind, like in the progression thing too, to give context, like I asked Bethany to do this trip with me as a way for me to work up a progression to the three day fast packing trip I'm planning to do at the end of July. Cause I haven't been backpacking. I've been backpacking once before in my life and I've spent a lot of time outdoors, but the last few years, Regis and I on our big trail running trips, we've just got Airbnbs because you know, we're not dirt poor, like we weren't our masters. So we've chosen to stay in Airbnbs because we're doing these, I mean, we're still doing big, huge mile days in the mountains, but we can go back to a shower and a warm meal. So we've made that choice. Like that doesn't make us less outdoorsy. Um, that was just a choice we made. So we haven't really camped as much because we haven't taken as big of trips or we're flying somewhere and we need like a place to to be at. And I've actually been doing that a lot more with my friends and the trips we're taking because we're usually going to one or two locations as we're going. And it's just easier to have like a home base or like, two different Airbnbs, um, especially if you have friends, it becomes pretty cheap the more people you have with you. But we've done big road trips where I've camped or I've flown places and I have camped. But I asked Bethany, I was like, hey, I want to, you know, get, I need to spend a night outside just to kind of remind myself how to do this, refresh myself on it, and even regain confidence in that for myself. Like I'm, this, this fast packing trip I'm doing will be two nights outdoors, which will be the longest I've ever spent outdoors. And I know a lot of people always think that like, I don't know, like I'm just like this crazy expert at everything I do, <laughs> but I'm kind of nervous for it. I'm like, and it's going to be a little bit less gear and it's going to be a little bit lighter. So I needed to do something like this to take that next step. So like, that's a great, like, that's, perfectly showing you how I'm in the middle of my own progression of learning this. So like, this is how you start. You start local, you start small, and then you do your first overnight thing. And then you do your first big thing. And then eventually like, I'm going to do a two night thing. And like, I feel confident and equipped now that I definitely could do a couple day backpacking trip if I had to, but I would probably bring way more shit than I needed to, or my gear might be a little heavier than I need to. And I would just learn that. But I feel confident knowing that like, I could do that now if I wanted to, right? Like the choice is now my choice in wanting to do something. And if you only want to do the small local things or you only, you don't ever want to backpack, you just want to car camp or stay at a hotel, but still go out and do big effort things. Like we could have technically stayed at the Airbnb and trail ran the, what we did in one single day and just have done it as a day thing. Like we could have a hundred percent done that. I know what it's still been just as epic and awesome, but it's just a different experience and it's what you want to make of your outdoors. So Almost kind of a tangent, but I just want to give all those caveats so everyone knows that like you can visualize yourself in this progression from wherever you're at and meet yourself where you're at and take it as long or as slow as you want. I took my first outdoor trip in 2015. Like this is like my sixth year of doing this and I'm still learning so much stuff every time I go and do it. And you'll hear in our story here, I fucked up on a couple things in Zion and like <laughs> nothing bad happened. We are totally fine. 
Um, so let's start with then, okay, so we've kind of really beat the dead horse of you guys and like starting local, starting small, starting with friends, renting, buying cheap, like whatever it is. Um, but when it comes to planning your big trips, I get a lot of questions about this. So I think I, as much as we're creating this podcast, it's a resource for you guys. I cannot stress enough national park websites. If you're choosing to do a national park are gold mines of information, Go to the website, read the information. A lot of the stuff we got asked, they're like, how do you get passes? Like if you Google Zion backcountry passes, Zion's going to have a whole page for you on how to do this. That's Bethany figured it out that way. When I've done Half Dome, I did it that way. When I camped in Rocky Mountain National Park, I did it that way. When I camped in the Grand Canyon, I did it that way. Like just go to each national park. The national park has so much information. They have exactly when you need to get your stuff, how you need to reserve it, like when things are open, but do it early. Like, don't think like you're going to book a trip like a day or a week or t- a month before you do something. Like, start looking into things a few months ahead of time because a lot of these things are popular or a lot of them sell out really quick or a lot of the spots fill up. So if you want to go somewhere and it is within a national park or like a state park or somewhere that you know is going to like look in and make sure some stuff needs passes, some stuff doesn't. Um, so look into if whatever your goal or your je- objective of your trip is, will you need passes when do you need to sign up for them? And like, is it like some of them are like, you only can get certain days or times. So I would start with your passes because your passes are going to dictate when you go places in your trip. So a great example of this is when I took that three week road trip between my master's and my PhD with my friend Vanessa and Regis, we based a lot of our trip around when our half dome passes were because there's a lottery. It's hard to get them. You have to sign up really quick. And so we got passes on this one specific day and so we based the entire trip around the fact that we needed to be in Yosemite. I think it was like July 19th or something like that, whatever it is. And so we based our road trip around the fact that knowing that that was that, that is when we needed that pass. And that was like the only thing we really needed to pass for, but we knew that that was what we needed to do. So we started with that, right? We got the passes that we needed. Then we booked the campsite. So then I booked the campsite for the Grand Canyon when we were staying at the Grand Canyon. And so I planned out all these logistics. And so we were driving my friend Vanessa flew into Dallas. So then I planned the flight to time in with the day that we were going to start driving. So do you guys see how I'm working backwards? I'm talking with my hands as you can see me, but the same thing with every other trip I've taken, you start with figuring out, like, don't book your flight before you book your passes is the point that I'm making because passes can be very random. Um, you never know when things are going to hit or when things are opening. It can be very hard. Like Rocky Mountain National Park is really hard to get consistent campsites for, like unless you book ahead of time, things like that. So I'm telling you, one, read the website. I know you guys are sick of me telling you this because I tell you with my own website, but like read the website. <laughs> there's information to Google things because there's so many resources and blogs out there. I learned so much crap with trial and error. And like, luckily I have Regis who like, once he came into my life, he's like, you're an idiot. This is how you do things. Um, which was very helpful, but like I read so much stuff. So even my gear list for past fast packing this summer that I got when I'm going with Chrissy out to Washington, I got from a blog from a girl who fast packed the JMT. Like I'm going to go buy whatever she bought that I don't already have or I need based off that, because that's a great, she made that resource of a gear list in like what she bought. And I can model what I need off of that in a way that's like very helpful. Like people put up these things, like we're making this for you obviously as a helpful resource, but go look for things out there and read and like, don't get information overload, but like try to find simple, clear cut answers to what you're looking for. Um, and then work backwards. So book your, your campsites, your passes, whatever it is. And then 
flights. So Bethany was amazing and she booked all of her stuff for us. And she can talk about that process because she's literally a godsend. And I she would not <laughs> have gone to Zion if she didn't do it. But then once she did that, we booked our flights and we did that together. We were like, let's look at these flights at the same time. We were texting each other at the mm -hmm. same time saying, okay, this one gets in this time. Do you have one that gets in this time? And then this one leaves this time. Do you have one that leaves this time? So we can get to the airport about the same time as each other. And sometimes when you do this with friends, you're going to, it's going to be like an hour difference sometimes, maybe 30 minutes, but like, it doesn't need to be perfect, but you want to try to end up at your same place within a reasonable amount of time. Like you can wait at the airport for your friends. You won't die. And then from there, you book the rental car, pick up and drop off if you are renting a car to be like 30 minutes after the last one of you lands, right? Because you're going to have to take your shuttle over, get your rental car. Um, I'm kind of talking over Bethany right now, but I've done this like six times in the last year. So I'm just, I, I, I really, I've done this so many times and I know you book the flight, you plan with the person, you land at the same time, you wait for them, you find them, you get to the rental car right away. And then once you're finally in the rental car, like, then you're like, you can kind of breathe. You're like, okay, here, bags here. Where do we need to be? And okay, we need to feed ourselves. Like that's like how things go. But the back planning and logistics isn't that bad. You just need to, and like I'll let Bethany talk about what she did for this trip here in a second, but you need to figure out where you're going and what you want to do. Like that's what you need to start with. Where do you want to go and what do you want to do? What are you trying to accomplish? What do you want to see? What are you, what objective are you trying to do? And then you need to ask yourself, okay, well, like what dates can I do this? okay, when do I fly in if I want to do this? Keeping in mind, if you're doing something at altitude, you might want to be there a few days before so you can get adjusted to it. So when I did my 14er this summer, with this past fall with Tatum, we did two 14ers. We did those in the second half of the week that we were there. We were out West for eight days, but we did like smaller, low level hikes that first half of the week because we weren't going to just go up to 4,000 feet on our first day, right? Like we had to give time to acclimate. Lower level stuff like what we did in Zion, like you you most likely, you'll feel the effects a little bit, but you're not going to probably get altitude sick. So you have to factor in where you're going, like how much time you need to be there before you do what you're doing. And then from there, you plan your trip and your rental car. Or if you're driving, you just have to say, okay, well, how many days is it going to take me to get here? Where are we going to stop along the way? How many people are driving? Can we split this? Like yada, yada, yada. Like, do I want to take the fastest route or do I want to take a longer route that goes through some other thing that I want to do or see? And like, you can literally go onto Google maps and make it where it's like, you put in like your location, the first location you want to be, the second location you want to be. And like, it will literally map the whole thing for you, tell you total mileage, total time of driving, all of the routes. Like you can map that whole thing and plan that for yourself and see where you need to be when if you're not flying so you can book campsites or whatever it is. And so some areas, but like look this up ahead of time. Some areas like national parks, you're going to have to rent campsites ahead of time. Some places, there's places to say it. You can just pull up and put like 20 bucks in an envelope and shove it in the campsites thing and call it a day and just sit there at that spot. And then someone eventually comes and collects it. You have to look into what's there and what's available and where you need to stay. Sometimes there's free places you can camp at. You can look up BLM land, things like that. But you need to do all this planning before you start giving a lot of money to airlines and rental car places. Like you have to figure out your logistics before you do that or before you figure out like when you're going to leave to start driving. Because especially if you're going out west from the east coast or you're driving somewhere like wherever you're at in the U.S., um, you need to figure out when you're going to leave and how long it's going to take you there and like timing of place to place kind of thing. So that was a lot. Um, so Bethany, why don't you tell us about how you planned our Zion trip? If you guys don't know, I've taken like one to four major trips a year. Maybe four is dramatic. One to three major trips a year every year since 2015. So this is like a 
ongoing thing of like word vomit because I've done so many different styles from mm-hmm. like money in like babysitting money in a in a mason jar to pay for gear and gas trips, like eating a block of cheese as my dinner trips to like <laughs> staying in an Airbnb and having rent a car. So like it's been a spectrum. Yeah. And I think that just goes to, to show the the progression of people who are just starting out and like understanding the logistics of planning and comfort and then going to cool i'm in zion and this was a super gravy trip like it was super easy to plan because of whatever and like confidence and all of that so uh, a, a big thing too you already kind of touched on national park websites guys everything is online unless you're going to a desolate bushwhacking random trail that has never been touched someone has done this before or someone has done this trail. There is all trails um, for hiking trails. And then there's literally blogs and YouTube videos on everything. I kid you not. There is a blog. Everyone's like, oh, there's an app for that. There's literally a blogger YouTube video. And it does seem very daunting because you're like, holy shit, I have all these things I have to plan and I have to do. But with taking a step back and be like, cool, here are the pocket, here are the the main headers that I have to knock out with travel, logistics, permit, um, packing, all of that. Like it's totally doable. Just make, make a graph, make a, um, I literally, for me and Alyssa, I did a, um, Google sheet and it had all the stuff we needed to pack and like our schedule when we would get there and all that. Um, but for Zion, you kind of touched on the beginning part of it. The biggest thing was finding our, Uh, getting a permit first because they only open up the fifth of the month before like the following month. So on the March, yeah, March 5th or whatever, I had to go on to the website as soon as it opened up, like it rebooted and then you can go and pick your campsite from there. So I was literally on the computer hitting refresh until it popped up. I chose our campsite. We did that. We looked at a map like, cool. What campsite do we want to stay at? There's multiple options. We did the West Rim Trail in Zion and we chose our campsite based on where we wanted to stop, how much mileage we wanted to do the first day. Where is there a water source? So we chose that first. Cool. Awesome. Here are our dates. Now let's book our plane tickets. So like Alyssa said, we were texting back and forth. And we're like, hey, we're both on the same airline. When can we get in? When can we leave? We had to deal with um, time zone changes because I'm central. We were going to, we went back two time zones, then one time zone. She was on <laughs> East Coast. So it was super cattywampus with our hours. But we booked our plane tickets from there. Awesome. We started uh, looking into where we wanted to stay. So there was two options of flying in to, to go to Zion. We end up flying into Vegas, renting a car. And driving two and a half hours, around two hours to uh, Hurricane Utah, which is where we stayed. Hurricane Utah is a 45-minute drive to Zion. So we found a city that was relatively close. So if shit got weird, we could drive back to the Airbnb or it's not that far of a drive. So we wanted to be within an hour of Zion. So again, researching Airbnb, looking for a city close. We could have stayed in the park. It would have been astronomically expensive. So we're like, hey, let's just stay in the Airbnb. We have a rental car. So we flew in. We got, we were about a half hour apart. We met up at the doohickey, the carousel where people stand way too close to the carousel to grab their bags. Um, We stood there and then we took the shuttle over to the rental car, got a rental car, uh, started driving and they were like, Hey, we need food. We crushed some tacos, got some cold brew and coffee. And then we drove to our Airbnb. We're there. We got settled in. We laid out all of our gear. We essentially repacked our packs. So you 
we traveled for some of you actually asked this. I traveled with a small backpack with my laptop. I traveled with a duffel bag with all of my clothes. And then I traveled with my pack, my actual hiking pack. And I literally hiked all my packed all my hiking gear in there. So that's how I did it. Um, Melissa took her hiking pack and put it in another duffel bag. Guys, it's up to you. I had three bags. I had to check two and I carried one. That's what I had to do because the amount of stuff that we had. Um, so it's, again, it's up to you how you want to split stuff up. But we got to the Airbnb, unpacked all of our stuff, settled in, um, regrouped, took a breath. And then we ate some food. We went and grabbed, we went to Walmart and grabbed uh, wraps to make for the next day. I grabbed some breakfast stuff for the next day. We grabbed some electrolytes, all that. And then we planned out our following day as in cool, we want to be, um, we had to get, so real fast, you have to take a shuttle to get to most of the trailheads in Zion. All of that's online. All the information for that's online. Um, we did not need a, to, to reserve a shuttle ticket because our permits were our shuttle tickets. So if you're going to Zion and you are backcountry camping, your permit is your shuttle ticket. If not, you have to reserve it either the night before, or I believe it's 15 days before. So there's two windows for you to get a shuttle ticket. It's online. Again, you can look everything up. Please do not get mad at us and say, they said it's 15 days because they change things all the time. Things have changed with COVID as things are opening. So like, don't take our word for this. Things might be different. So they're subject to change based off the national park services how they feel and what they think that we need to yeah, do. Exactly. So keep that in mind. Look it up. Don't take our word for it. Damn it. Look it up. Look at the Google <laughs> machine. Um, but the next morning, so logistics day of, we needed to work backwards because the first shuttle left at 7 a.m. We changed time zones to go from Vegas to, and then we had to go back. Like we were essentially changing time zones. So we essentially had to go backwards. Cool. We give ourselves an hour to travel. You minus an hour from that. We needed to get up, go to the bathroom, run to the gas station, get gas, eat breakfast. So we essentially worked backwards. We got up at 5 a.m., I believe, out of the door. We were out by 5.30, 5.45. Took us about an hour to get there. Um, we had to swing by the gas station because Alyssa was dying. Um, and It wouldn't be an outdoors trip if I wasn't dying, guys. <laughs> I wasn't puking Puke, all night. Puking rally. That so, is my motto. I just Do want- not eat tater tots <laughs> and guacamole, apparently. <laughs> poor. The- Uh, real fast fast, the two times i've spent with Alyssa, she has vomited the night before and the day off i just want everyone to know that Um, oh i need everyone to know that my stomach issues from last fall were a hundred percent not an issue anymore like totally better for like three or four months straight and then we went to zion and and i puked twice (laughs) it was beautiful and she's like i'm sorry i'm like I expect this now. It would be weird if you didn't puke because oh. I thought you would be ill. Um, but we made it and we, we got there. Uh, there. Puking were- never stopped me from a good time. Never. We puke and rally. Um, but we got there the morning. We got there around 630. There was already a shuttle line, which is totally fine. They run every like six minutes. So we were there, went to the bathroom, had our packs, had our permits. We had everything we needed. And then we started um, at the grotto trailhead. So we were going to initially do lava point to grotto back to lava point. So essentially an out and back. However, lava point was inaccessible via shuttle because of weather. So we're like, that's fine. We just flip our trip. So something like that, we had plans. We looked into accessibility of trailheads. We're not allowed to do it because of weather. So we just switched our trip. So we got to the grotto trailhead 
and we started our hike. It was, a, I mean, we checked the weather. That was another big thing, guys, making sure you're paying attention to weather. Um, because if it was just downpour raining or we had a storm coming through, we would have called it because it would have just been unsafe and we would have found something else to do. Um, but yeah, we started at like 7.30, I think. And I think uh, uh, Alyssa can probably attest to this. The best part of this was that we didn't have a time crunch. So if normally if you're like hey we started a little bit late or we need to figure out when the sun is setting because we want to set up camp before the sun sets we had essentially all day almost what 12 hours to do our first push which we initially planned it to be 20 miles we kind of changed it we stopped at our campsite um so it was a little bit shorter of a day but we had time to actually enjoy we, we stopped what every half mile and just uh, we, stare. we just said we just said we didn't we didn't actually backpack intensely he said we just took a, a casual walk in the park he goes he was he was like that's not how i would backpack with you i was like yeah but we had a lot of fun and we stopped and took a lot of pictures and ate a lot of snacks so we had a blast um, yeah so then, we took our sweet old time but it was like that's what we both wanted like i just didn't want a fast intense running trip i have enough of those i just wanted to take my sweet ass time and look at the views yeah. And I think for us being both big trail runners, we're so used to when you're trail running, yes, you're soaking up the beauty of around you, but you're not necessarily stopping and just like looking at the dirt or like looking at this beautiful view. Yeah, you do it, but you're trying to get mileage. You're trying to stay on pace for this trip. We we're like, we both had 25 pounds on our back. We were little trekking poles and we were just cruising. We talked the whole time. We took way too many pictures. Like it was really nice. Um, but if we had a huge day or if we had to be at a certain place by a certain time, we would have paid attention to our pace. Like, Hey, we need to be going 20, 25 minutes per mile. Like that's another thing to pay attention to is when does the sunset and you work backwards of how much you have time for the day. Um, but yeah, we cruised, uh, you, so you essentially pretend like you're going to Angel's Landing. You do the big, big climbs, big zigzags, and we hit Angel's Landing trailhead, super busy. Um, so we, we said, screw that. We didn't do it. And I was not doing it with a giant pack on, cause that's dumb. Uh, and then you veer left and you literally are on the Western trail. So it was nice because it was kind of trafficked, heavily trafficked. Zion is one of the most popular national parks in the world, which is great. Uh, but it's a little bit busier. So as we hit the Western trail, we were like, whew, good to go. Like less people, we would passion occasional people. Um, and yeah, we took lots of pictures. It was magnificent. Um, I'm going to keep going about anything you want to add real fast. I was going to say a couple things that I know people are going to be curious about. One, if you're just doing angel landing or you're hiking the West Rim Trail as part of a day hike, you do not need a pass. You just need a shuttle pass. You do not mm -hmm. need a pass. I've done angels landing. I also recommend observation point as an alternative that is a little less busy and just as beautiful. And maybe if for those, I mean, everyone says that, okay, I'm going to come off a little pompous for a second, but mm -hmm. bear with me. Everyone's like, oh, Angel's Landing is the most dangerous hike in America. If you are just being an idiot on there, it's dangerous. But if you're scared of heights, it might be a little scary. So I'll keep that in the caveat that, like, it's not actually that. There's a chain and you're on the ridge. But if you're just, like, like in your footing. Sim average shape and you have different decent shoes and you watch your footing, like, you're going to be okay. It just might be more scary. Where observation point is just trail up and you just walk to a plateau. There isn't like the whole chain gang situation, but I've done Angel's Landing. It's like, it is great and it's beautiful, but you can, if you if you don't want to do that, or if it is really busy or you just are scared of heights, 
observation point. Um, also, you can just go up along the West Rim just a little bit further, and there mm-hmm. are just other beautiful points. You're not getting that initial canyon, but like it's still very beautiful. So keeping that in mind that like you're not going to die if you do Angel's Landing. I think people are like, oh, my God, are you hanging on the edge? And I'm like, obviously, I'm a more advanced outdoors hiker, I would say. But I didn't think that it was anything that like I was like worried for people's well-being kind of thing. I was honestly more worried for people on Half Dome than I was Angel's Landing. Um, it just seems sketch because it's a little bit more technical than maybe what you do on a normal day hike. But you don't need a pass to do it. You will need a shuttle pass. Observation point is another option. This, I'm just adding this for clarity because I know people are going to think that they're going to need passes and things like that. You don't, at least in Zion, but it is one of the most popular national parks out there. So I will recommend that if you wanted to do Angel's Landing, this is what we did when we were there. Um, you may not want to park at the trailhead and run in three miles like we had done because you have to take shuttles to get to that to that area. Um, so when we did it in the summer that year, we ran in before sunrise and ran up to be the first people up there. You don't have to pull a Regis and Alyssa, but I would recommend getting on that like very first shuttle so you can get on the trail early because it does get really busy. I mean, if you don't mind waiting in line and dealing with people, like that's totally fine. But if you would like it to be a little bit more remote, like I would encourage getting there like earlier in the day because it is very popular. It is very crowded. People love Zion for all the right reasons. Um, but I just wanted to add that because I think for most people, you might just go to Zion and do Angel's Landing and like, that's your big thing. But also there's some other places like Observation Point on the East Rim, which was closed when we went there. Um, or you can just go day hike along the West Rim where we went and it's really beautiful. And depending on how many miles you want to do, like you could do a big chunk of what we did that day, just like as a part of your day hike, a lot of people we saw out there doing that. And that is an option too. So if you're logistically trying to plan your trip, those are things I would encourage you to do. And the other thing, a a big day hike thing that people love is the narrows. You can backpack the narrows. I've tried to twice. Every time I've got rained out, I've just day hiked it at this point in time. I've given up on my dream of backpacking the narrows. Um, because when Bryce Canyon gets rain, um, it, it's at a higher elevation than Zion, and they're part of the same uh, Grand Staircase Escalante, which is basically a big gradual decline in terrain to the Grand Canyon. Fun fact, geology guys. Um, and so when that rain comes in, it floods out Zion. So anyway, um, but those are the big three things that I would look at when you're logistically planning your Zion trip that you won't need passes for unless you are sleeping in anywhere in the backcountry on the West Rim, East Rim, or the Narrows. So so one thing I wanted to add, because I know that for most people, you might not be backpacking, but you still might want to go to Zion. And those are the things that I would look into, like making your itinerary around. Good caveats. Those are good. Um, yeah. And if I'm, if I'm, as I continue to explain, if I'm missing anything, let me know. Uh, no, for clarity, guys, I've, this is my third time to Zion. Yeah. So that was Bethany's first time. So I've been there. I've done every level, I think, of like Zion epicness. I, you kind of can do. Um, so I'm just adding all these extra details from my previous experiences. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year, and after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. 
Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed by what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. Thank you for that. That was wonderful. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we stayed at Campsite 8. So it's generally about halfway between Grotto, Trailhead, and Lava Point. Uh, we got to our campsite at like 2 or 3. Plenty of sun left. Our initial plan was to drop, go to the campsite, refill our water which is a whole nother story we'll talk about that <laughs> set our tents up get everything set up so our packs are lighter we can refill eat some lunch and then keep going all the way to lava point however when we started after we set we literally set our tents up got everything set up we kept our food with us but we left all of our like clothes and stuff like that we didn't need um and we started going kept going to lava point and we felt like we got plucked out of the Grand Canyon. The landscape change was super peculiar. Like I'm envisioning, this is what I told Alyssa. I was like, hey, remember that episode? Or remember that part in The Lion King with all like the wolves and the, or the, all the hyenas? And it's just like uh, dusty and like trees were falling that looked like they were burnt. It was super weird. And we, we like went a mile. We're like, this doesn't feel like, not that like the, Zion is incredible. I'm just so grateful to be out there, but the landscape changed so differently. And we're like, we're not really feeling it. And like, did we want to go three more miles and then have to come three miles back? We're like, you know what? I think we're good. Uh, we literally did one mile out past our campsite, turned back around, went to the campsite and we could have kept going. Um, once we got further up over that next like Canyon to lava point, it would have been super rad, but we didn't necessarily want to keep pushing about six, seven more miles. And that was our personal decision that goes against what our initial plan was. And that's okay because we were just shared to have fun and like, we didn't need to do it. Um, but we came back to our campsite and then now circling back water. So when backcountry camping, you need to know where water sources are unless you want to carry a shit ton of water. So I carried a three liter camelback and then I had a Nathan soft pack with um, my Element Labs electrolytes in it. Alyssa had a camelback as well. And same thing. She had an electrolytes. So that three, she had a two liter out of three liter. That water got us to our campsite, which we knew we'd be stopping. And there was a spring I'm air quoting this people, a spring <laughs> next to our campsite called Potato Hollow, which is very fitting. We passed two other springs on the way. We saw them. They're beautiful, luscious, flowing, cold. We're like, we don't need to stop because we have we one got out of a spring at our campsite. Yeah. We got catfished. 
because they said all the camps are, are all the springs are flowing. They're beautiful. Obviously you need to filter your water. And then we get there and it's like a fucking pond that <laughs> Greg, the fit, whatever the old Greg scaly man fish lived in. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Good reference, huh? And we're what like, best reference. what in the hell? Uh, it was still water, but it had like, there was like okay, to just uh, let me let's 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 break this down. So the water is the one back half just literally looks like it's filled with fish eggs. I don't think it's actually it's filled algae. with algae. Yeah, algae and gross like weird stuff growing yeah. on the top, and then the other half just is like grass and weeds and <laughs> like random shit just floating there. And there's like one small little pocket where I'm assuming water is flowing from very slowly at this like one little yeah. intersection in the middle where I'd assume if there was heavier rains, maybe that's where the water cleans this nice little thing out. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's just like this random, it looks like it's still water. Like in which in every outdoors adventure ever, you're not supposed to drink still water. <laughs> like usually, I mean, you can filter some, a lot of sketchy things and probably yeah. be okay. Um, I mean, some people filter their pee if they're on the verge of death. So yeah. who am I hard to judge? But we drink out of potato hollow. So, I mean, theoretically, it was swimming. Apparently, it was safe. Fine. Like, Zion would have never uh, – they would have yeah. – trust me. A national park – like, I think a lot of the stuff, guys, keep in context. When, like, things when you're doing them in national parks – depending on how far out like zion is like remote but it's not actually as remote as you're going to be in some other places like i'm sure there's parts of other national parks that is like far remote but when you're in places like the grand canyon or zion where there's like really only one trail and like one way to go one system it's actually not as sketchy and scary as you think it is versus like if you're in like the deep like colorado national forest backcountry right where things are a little more sketchy no one's going to tell you if you're going to die like doing what you're doing um not die well kill, chill out guys you know what i mean so like zion is like you're it's like you're you're it's like it's safely I, remote it's pretty safely remote like you 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 know that you're safe even though you're remote i don't want to downplay anyone's nerves because i do get nervous but mm -hmm. like there's a lot higher risk things you can do than camp at campsite eight in the zion backcountry so yeah. like we weren't we're not like epic badasses because we drink out of this puddle and stayed at campsite <laughs> eight. like 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 i i felt more scared sleeping alone when regis was gone last week than i did sleeping at campsite eight like yeah. let's be real yeah um so anyway there's this like just standstill water puddle and we just get up and we're like, what the, they're like, this isn't it. We're like, this isn't it. We, like, we looked around. Like, we're like, where's the spring at? This is not a spring. So a spring. But Zion, trust me when the na a national park that big is yeah. going to know if there's something they're going to report it. They're going to tell you, they're going to tell you, you have to backpack in all your water because there's nowhere to get it. Like they are going to warn you if it's a national park service because they're on top of it because they have so many visitors and so much shit. And like, if something was an issue out there, like someone's going to tell them yada, 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 blah, 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 read the website. Yeah. <laughs> and even, even for this trip, there was a, uh, an advisory for pulling water from rivers and like other sources that weren't springs because they were having bacteria issues. So they let us know that. And if they're like, Hey, you can't drink out of the springs, we would have packed in all of our water. But again, research at the, at the front end, what am I going to have accessibility to? So that's an important feature. When you're doing multi um, hours, multi miles, where can we access water? And um, I used a Sawyer water filter. Um, there's so many, there's tons of them out there, but it's important, obviously, because you will get sick if you do not filter your water. 
Um, but it took us a hot minute because we only had one and we were trying to fill our camelbacks. We were trying to get water for our stove to boil water for our dinner. So it took a little while. So we took that in consideration, but we got it done. Um, we went back to the campsite and hung out. We, uh, two things. So one thing what we were like, Hey, what we should have done. We both didn't bring a book. Cause we thought that we would be hiking a little bit longer. We run out of sunlight, but we were like, we had time to kill. And obviously I love Alyssa and we were just like chit chatting, but like it would have been super rad to like hang out in our tents and just like read a book. So we forgot books. Um, people bring cards. There's camp campsite games that are super lightweight. There's uh, frisbees that are packable. Like there's a bunch of things you can do. We would have brought books. That was one thing we joked about. Uh, we forgot. We both like laid it. Cause like, don't get like, listen, I think as much as people think, that obviously I'm more of a talker than Bethany, but eventually I run out of things to say. I'm a lot more introverted than people think. Yeah. And I yapped the whole day long. Like I talked, me and Bethany yeah. talked the whole day. The whole day. But then we were, then we were tired and it was like a little too early to go to bed. It was like six. It was like six. And we did go to bed at like eight. Like it's not like, yeah. like so we had like two hours to kill. And I play, I cleaned up my photos and my phone. <laughs> like I, I organized my folders. I edited our photos in Lightroom. I played some solitaire. And then yeah. eventually I was like, shit. Fuck. <laughs> and like, you're kind of tired. So that's one thing we would have done was to bring books. Book. Um, also a fun little thing that we had to do. So we were required to hang our food bags. If you hike the Appalachian Trail, you are also usually required to hang your food or they have um, bear canisters for wildlife just because you don't want to keep that in your tent because if there is wildlife, they're going to be like, oh, this smells super delicious. So we want to do our best to avoid that. So we, even though we're like, wait, there's bears in Zion? Like, what? I know. I had to Google this. I was like, there's no fucking bears so in Zion. Usually there's like small cats and like, like wildlife and everything, but I guess... There's some that are migrating through. They're very far and few between, but we hunger food anyway. So you essentially take all of your food um, and your trash and you put it in like a, a bag or we, I put it in one of my stuff sacks and you take a 550 cord, you tie it to a carabiner and you essentially hang it from a tree branch. Uh, that's relatively high up that hopefully a bear can't get. Um, however, the first time through the carabiner it ended up looping around because it didn't have enough weight on it. So it got stuck in the tree. We had to get it out. And then, uh, we needed to assess and figure out how we were going to make this happen. And we ended up, well, Alyssa grabbed my trekking poles and tie them together to help get the carabiner off the tree. And then I was like, Hey, you should be an Olympic athlete in javelin, this trekking pole over the tree in order to, to drop the rope on the other side. So we can tie our bag to it and tie it to the tree. Long story short, worked out beautifully. And we're so mad. We didn't get this on film. Cause it was so. I, I document the whole thing and there will be a video. I just sent all the video footage to our friend, Luke, uh, shout out to Luke and Rachel. If you need phone <laughs> or film stuff. Um, so we documented like everything and there will be a video that we'll share with you guys. Hopefully it's done before the podcast is out. We can just link it here. If not, I'll share it on Instagram and my email and newsletter. Um, but like of all the stuff we documented, we didn't document literally me tying with a bandana, two tracking poles together, getting this thing down, javelin throwing this over, like getting this over the tree. Like it was just a whole hot mess of, sh it, was, it was just funny. It was just like the unpredictably like just silly thing that, that always happens on outdoor trips that you don't plan for that like always happens and is always like one of the best memories of the trip whenever like something yeah. just it's silly cool. happens that you don't plan for so if you need a professional javelin thrower for your next hiking trip let me know call Alyssa 
She's taking, Alyssa. She's taking appointments. I'm taking um, appointments. Yeah, that was super fun. Uh, but yeah, we, I mean, we camped out that night. No problem. We got up right before sunrise, made some coffee. We opted to skip breakfast just because it does take a little bit longer. I would have waited for, I had to wait for my stove to cool down. Um, all that fun jazz. But we had snacks, so we crushed some cliff bars, had some coffee, and we just ended up hiking out. And um, keep in mind, we were hiking out to civilization that day. Yes. I think, like, Going keep in mind, food. if we were doing more of a, like, Keeping it in mind, like if the more days you're doing this, the least like the less you want to worry about being behind on food. Yeah. But we weren't worried. Like, okay, first off, I threw up my dinner that night at the campsite <laughs> because it didn't sit well. So I'm under calories as is, which isn't great. But at this point in time, I'm like, honestly, Bethany, like I just I didn't care about making my breakfast. I was like, I can get 300 calories down the hatch with a lot, like with gummy yeah. worms, and be fine, and go yeah. get a protein shake as soon as because that's exactly what we did. So you're going to make these calls. Like, you're like, okay, this isn't this, the, like, ideal we're skipping breakfast before hiking. But we literally, Bethany ate a Cliff Bar, and I think I ate some, like, Stinger yeah. Waffles as soon as we hit the trail. So we, yeah. like, weren't in a calorie we zero. Were like, we weren't intermittent fasting. We were, yeah. like, just, we were eating on the go. We were just like, yeah. screw it, we'll shove something down our pie hole while we're doing up this first big climb. And it worked out just fine. Like, yeah. we ate the whole rest of the day. Yeah, that was the only, like, weird thing. We could have stopped in it, but we just were like, hey, let's get rocking and rolling. It does take time to to pack your stuff up and to make sure you repack your bag and to get changed and go to the bathroom and do all that. So yeah, we woke up um, and then we kind of hit the trail, took some pictures again on the way back. And we obviously got done faster because the entire first day was ascending up, up, yeah. up, a little bit of a down. And then you were climbing all day. It was like 4,000 feet of gain the first yeah. day over eight yep. miles, which is like 500 feet a mile. Yeah. It was pretty, um, pretty steep. Yeah, but uh, again, yeah. me and Alyssa both come from uh, trail running and backgrounds, so we were we were feeling pretty good. And the descending, descending is still hard, guys, because of the pressure it puts on you. Like people joke, it was faster, but it was still pretty gnarly. Um, we both had trekking poles, so that was great. But yeah, we took the rest. I mean, we we were out in six hours, I think, and then you get to the Grotto Trailhead and you wait for the shuttle to come. The shuttle's always running, so we got wristbands obviously use your wristband because we just came in so we obviously have to go out so we got on it and then we were essentially done we did the western trail yeah this sounds so like anticlimactic <laughs> but i think like the, the thing the whole thing seems so anticlimactic but not in a bad way it was just like a cool we're doing this because we can kind of way and yeah. like that's obviously something i don't take for granted now that i have the physical and like just personal ability to do these things but it was like literally just that casual like I had yeah. someone who was like you only went out there for two days and I was like well yeah because we you. can like Bethany had to work um she had a lot more work than I actually had to do and I had my second vaccine scheduled so I was like okay well like that's just that's the perfect timing like mm -hmm. I'll come back like I know I'm gonna be on my ass the rest of the week and we both had work to do and so it worked with our schedules and Bethany was like my only friend that could like <laughs> take a random four days off with me yeah. and so like it, we worked around each other's schedules and we just did it because we could and so and that's fun and that's great and like you know obviously not everyone wants to just take that whole effort to go all the mm -hmm. way out west just to for two days but it's but it, it was just something to do because we wanted to get away and it was something fun to do and I literally just texted Bethany in February and I was like <laughs> do you want to go to Zion and she's like yeah and I was like okay like this is what we're gonna do and then we just we just did it right that's how it happened um, literally that's exactly how it happened <laughs> 
That's literally it. All my research got put hold on again. And I said, screw this. And I said, who is the person that is most likely to randomly go to Zion with me? I would have just gone by myself, I guess. I wouldn't have backpacked alone um, because I would have just ran in, I guess. Um, but I was like, Bethany's backpacked. She has gear. She's d- down, d- DTF, down for fun. DFF, D- yeah. down for fun. DTF. Um <laughs> Down to fun. That doesn't make sense. So Bethany's down for fun. So I literally was just like, yo, you want to go to Zion? Like, yeah, sweet. Let's go. Um, and I know a couple of people asked about like us becoming friends in real life. And like, I, I don't know, like that's kind of how it worked before. Like, I don't even remember how we became internet friends. I think Bethany just followed me and I followed her back. And yeah. we indirectly, I knew who she was through my friends, Luke and Rachel, who are also friends with Lori, who's best friends with Bethany and Bethany's at their wedding. And we all kind of crossovered. And I don't even remember, but she reached out to me last year about training her. Um, and so I started training her for her trail running stuff and then we started to talk more. And then I just was like, randomly one day, I was like, yo, you want to pace me in my hundred K? <laughs> I was like, so, I, I feel like, I feel like people think that there's like this big magical thing that happens with online friendships, but it's just very organic. Like usually you you see people's content, you know what they're about and you can usually, I mean, you can kind tell if you don't like, you can kind of tell if you don't like someone or if you just like, there's, there's definitely people that I like that I, I follow that I wouldn't want to spend a night in the middle of nowhere with. Like, I'm just like, Accurate. they're just not that kind of person, like totally fine. Um, or they wouldn't have the gear or whatever to do it. So that's really what happened both times as I was like, yo, you want to do this thing? <laughs> like you want to run with me for 15 miles in the middle of the night? Sweet. You want to, you want to spend the night in Zion? And so that's really what happened. It's not like it was like anything crazy. Yeah. Um, it worked out beautifully. And- it worked out beautifully. And so we just kind of did that. So the biggest things that I think to add is like the, 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 the second day our stoke was higher and you'll see that in the video that we share. And that was just a lot of fun. And we had, so I think really like the only thing that like came with a rush trip is that at least for me, cause like the whole reason we took this trip is cause I was under a ton of stress and like, I really just wanted to get away and I didn't get to have a spring break because of the way uh, university set up spring break with COVID this year. Um, is I think it took a good 24 hours for me to really shake society from myself. Like I could feel like on that first day, I still didn't have that like classic trail stoke feeling that I normally get. Like, I mean, it was still beautiful and it was awesome. And I was still happy to be there and so excited, but that like euphoric classic cheesy feeling that you get from the outdoors. Like we could just feel that on the second day mm-hmm. and it was so awesome. And it like filled up the cup and like, it was just so beautiful. Um, we, looking back retrospectively, would have not stayed at Potato Hollow. We just ate at Campsite 6. We are letting you guys in on our teepiest, toppiest secret mm-hmm. of the whole trip. This is the tip-top secret for the people who consume my content beyond anything else. Campsite 6. So the first time I went to Zion, we, we backpacked. And we actually were supposed to stay at Campsite 6, but we didn't because we went over Thanksgiving um, and – it, we had there was a rainstorm that turned into a snowstorm so we stopped at campsite one and even though you're supposed to reserve spots ahead of time the people that were at campsite one or two i think it was two actually two comes before one there so we veered off that was the first campsite that we saw but it started to get really heavy rain and we just were like you know what we're gonna go back here and it was like a sister and brother and they were like yeah we don't care if you there's campsites are pretty big like you mm-hmm. can have quite a few people stay at them and so we had a sister and brother back there we're like hey we're just a bunch of kids like we were in our early 20s we don't really want to hike another few miles with all this rain can we just crash here and usually other hikers for the most part are pretty it's like a kind of secret community we met some cool people we really mm-hmm. chatted with and it was like very natural and so we ended up just crashing at someone else's campsite with their permission right like a, we didn't like overstay our welcome or overbook it or do anything illegal um 
And that was really nice. And that was a pretty short hike. So if you wanted to backpack, but you're not quite ready, but I would really encourage you if you're going to do it, if you want to stay at an early one and then backpack further and keep mm-hmm. going, that would be awesome. But I would really suggest getting up to campsites three, four, five, or six on that back ridge of the West Rim, because it's really beautiful getting up to that point. But that's where like, you see those really big back of the Canyon views that you're not going to get. So that's like one of those moments, those places where you're like, this is cool because this is completely and totally utterly only somewhere that your feet are going to get you. Like no one else is ever going to be back here unless they get themselves back here, which is really cool. Cause even though you get the views from angels landing in the very beginning of the Canyon, um, you can get that being flat on the canyon and drive, which makes it amazing because Zion's very accessible for all people to really see the inside of the canyon and beautiful. But I think going back past that extra little bit of that ridge mm-hmm. to like those areas between campsites three through six is extra beautiful. We wish we had stayed at campsite six because it's right before this little downhill uphill thing. And we were then staying below that next downhill. Um, that's where we ended up camping was below this on this back end of the ridge. And we think it was just like this back end plateau that you take to get to the back part of the Canyon, which is the trail is just built around the way the park Mm -hmm. is laid out. Nothing against sound. It's still beautiful. Um, but we were like just beyond that over the ridge. And we would have really liked to have camped at a place where like the sunset over the Canyon and we could have woken up to the Canyon views. So looking back retrospectively, if you're going to do this as a day, like an overnight single day thing, I would definitely consider depending on the distance, but like campsite six would be perfect. Cause you'd get that full view before it dips behind the Canyon part, unless you're planning on going to lava point or like the, the can the back end canyons and hiking the whole edge of that backside of the park. So we would highly recommend looking into those campsites or doing something like stay at two and then keep hiking to six mm-hmm. and then go back or like whatever it is that you're going to do. Cause you can get passes and camp at, earlier spots but then keep hiking like you can set up your stuff and keep hiking like most people are not going to steal your tent and sleeping bag in the backcountry. like it's like not probably a thing yeah not probably a thing maybe bring like your phone and camera with you but um you can set up some of your gear drop it off your packs will be lighter do something like that but i would really encourage you to keep going past that and then if you're just doing a day hike hiking to where campsite two is there's also a spring there would be a really good place to go that we saw a lot of day hikers go you get a good bit of vert um, but you still get to see like a different view of the Canyon, that backside, it's still very beautiful, but it's probably maybe a four mile hike. I want to say maybe four or five. Four or five so, yeah. yeah. So it's probably like a four or five mile hike there and then back. Yeah. So it still probably would be like six to eight miles yeah. for the day, yeah. just depending on. Trip. Yeah. So, okay. I just wanted to add those logistics that yeah. on the Zion thing, cause I know a lot of people wanted zion specific itinerary things um okay so let's go through our q a for everyone we're just gonna fire away on your guys questions that you guys had we typed them all out here these are ones that you guys literally submitted to us some of them we might have already covered in this that we're we are gonna skip over but mm-hmm. everything else um we're gonna just fire through the q a do you have anything else you want to add bethany before we head into the listener questions no, I think a lot of it we can we can kind of tie in general adventuring and then Zion too for the questions. So perfect. Okay. First off, favorite package trail food. Gummy bears. Yeah, gummy worms is gummy mine. Worms. Or peach rings. Oh or yeah. Peach rings. Honey stinger uh, waffles. Those ooh. are my shit. So this depends. I, I people get asked ask me this. I generally can eat real food on the trail when yeah. I'm hiking, but running fucks with me so much. I'm not all very good whole food eater when I'm running. Um, so I do a lot of like tailwind, gels, goose, candies mm-hmm. when I'm trail running. 
But when I'm hiking, like I had Snickers bars. I think oh. Snickers bars might be my favorite trail Ooh, food. Oh yeah. Unless I think Snickers bars. <laughs> Unless they melt, but then you just drink them. Then you just drink you just, them. You just lick the package. Yeah. So I mean, I'll do like I mean, Cliff Bars are a classic. I don't really love the taste of Cliff Bars as much as I feel like I'm supposed to. We just loves them. And I'm just like so indifferent to them. Depending on they, the flavor. They serve a purpose. Yeah, they serve a purpose. I eat them when I trail run sometimes too. Um, I'm Pop-Tarts are a big one for me with running. Um, I think, but gummy worms. That day, that second day out, we were hiking on the ridge, playing big wild, like mm-hmm. very, very quietly. Um sharing a bag of gummy worms <laughs> over the ridge like early morning it was just like euphoria it was, it was just like it was it, it was gummy worm <laughs> euphoria like it was just one of those moments of life that you're like you don't have this unless you do the stupid shit and it was no. great and it was amazing and it was just mutually bonded by gummy worms so it was a, it was a uh, good part of the day i enjoyed that I mean, yeah so i think but a lot of people ask about trail food obviously you're just not eating candy all the time but like yeah. anything mixed macro beef jerky trail mix it's so classic i made a, i posted a reel on my story sharing my nutrition bethany posted a post mm-hmm. sharing your nutrition um you can kind of get away with eating a lot when you're hiking i think if you're just doing a day hike i mean we brought fucking chip, chicken wraps with us yeah. and ate them like the first day because they didn't get bad so if you're doing a day hike you can bring like a whole ass sandwich with you like yeah um I used to do bagel sandwiches. Like I'll literally make like a breakfast or a deli meat like bagel sandwich and put it in tinfoil and you can just crush it at the top with some chips. Yeah. So when you're hiking, you want to eat like mixed macro stuff. Um, you want to, you can probably get in a little more protein, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more fat. Your digestion is not going to be as affected. Now, if you're running, you're going to lean towards more like almost hundred percent carb sources. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. What did we pack for air quotes, poop emoji in Zion? So, so- Okay, so I will say this. Zion was different packing in and packing out than a regular, say, the Appalachian Trail. Zion, everything gets packed out. And by everything, I mean your poop as well. Like, you can't, like, leave that there. You have to pack everything out. If you are doing something like the Appalachian Trail, you want to be 200 feet not, yeah, feet away from a trail or water accessibility. You literally build, you take a trowel or a stick or your shoe and you build a hole in the ground and you poop in the hole and then you cover back up. Like that's literally what you do. Yes. It's weird, but if you got to go, you got to go. And then you pack out your toilet paper, put in a Ziploc bag, double bag it Um, for Zion. Everything get packed out. So like we brought Ziploc baggies, um, wet wipes, hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Like that's your kind of like your kit. They have some super bougie ones, like actual toilet seats and like bags and like you have everything, but we made homemade toilet bathroom using kits. Something a lot of people will do. I've never really had this issue for the most part when I'm outdoors. I'm usually, I mean, I'm in the East coast on the Appalachian trail a lot. So I can just like, if I have to do this, I, you guys missed it last summer. This was a thing where people ask me about pooping on trail all the time. Everyone's very concerned about if you have to poop outdoors. Um, I have a whole post on it, like literally (laughs) logistics, or you can Google REI poop outdoors and they have a video and an informational blog on it. Like I literally just shared the information from REI in my post, um, for people. I did the work for them, but just look into it. A lot of places, like a lot of people places out West too, you can bury your feces. Um, the thing with like the canyons is that you really can't dig a hole in a lot of these places. That's the issue. Like it's hard to like dig a hole in rock to yeah. poop into. Um, so 
look into wherever you're at. And something that a lot of people will do um, is they'll duct tape a bag. So then it's like, you don't see your poop. Like, and then like there's bags climbers use that like, you know, when they sleep on ledges for weeks and they poop in these bags and they just like let it drag behind them. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. (laughs) But some people will get black Ziploc bags or they'll tape them or like you can make it not as more or less Mm -hmm. gross as you want it to be. Like, I don't know. And then you just toss it. It's just, you can either hold it or you can go like, that's just, that's kind of part of it. Once you do it once, you're like, I'm good. You just got to do that first time. And then peeing, you just find something to just lean against so you pee and you carry yeah. on. <laughs> and if you're near something that's water or sensitive terrain, pee on a rock, fun fact, pee on a rock. Um, but besides that, like just, and if you're really concerned, look it up. There's yeah. literally instructionals. You YouTube. can buy things. Yeah. Um, they sell little pea cloths. I just am a shaker and baker yeah. and I just keep going drip dry. You got to shake, shake and bake. Yeah. You don't have to pack out your toilet paper if you just shake and bake. And like <laughs> at some point on trail runs, you're so sweaty. Does it matter? Oh, you don't even know what's what. You don't even know what's what. How many times have I peed on my shoes? Like that's just a rite of passage. All, all like, the time. I pee on myself all the time out yeah. when I'm trail running guys. This yeah. is just, it happens. Just go when you get back. The, the key is to like find a tree that you can like really hang on to and lean against so you can yes. like widen your stance so you don't pee on yourself, but you yeah. live and you learn. You live and you learn. <laughs> You're going to pee on yourself at some point in time and it is what it is. Um, okay. Now that we've gotten that done with. We had to You're all welcome. How to answer. I'm shocked we didn't get more people that ask that. They think they know that I'll literally eat them alive. Um, <laughs> someone asked Bethany that because she's nicer than me. Yeah. Okay. Tr- tips for getting over fear of big animals on trips like this. You don't. <laughs> uh, I don't. So I think the biggest thing is knowing what, without scaring you, like what could be out there. So you yeah. have an understanding of I might, are we in bear country? What kind of bears? Um, what season are we in? Are they migrating? Are they hibernating? Is there going to be mountain lions? Like we are in yeah. their house. We aren't supposed to be there, but we have this gift and this privilege to be on trail, to be in the woods. So we have to remember that is going to come with the territory and just understanding what's going to be out there and then being vigilant. And that's why we don't run with headphones in, guys. That's why we don't ride with headphones and we want to be able to hear um, and just be, hey, every few off, every few hundred yards, check behind you. What's going on? And then um, there are things like, uh, bear spray. There's obviously certain things you can carry with you for protection. Um, there's really, really loud whistles and just doing a little research of like, cool, if I see a bear, get really big and really loud, like scare the bear. Um, cause most of the time they're not necessarily coming for you. They're just like, what the fuck are you doing? This is my house. Um, and again, we may, this is obviously I'm take this with a grain of salt, do your research. But, uh, I think the biggest thing is understanding they're there. And I think, Alyssa, you said something about like, yeah, the scarier thing is knowing that they're there, but I can't see them. Versus if I see yeah. a bear, I'm going to stay back here. I'm going to let it do its thing. And then I'm going to carry on. Yeah. I think for me, like, you really, I think, okay, keep this in mind. People like, I don't think people fully capture this when I share the things that I do. I am an extremely high anxious person. Like, I have high, strong anxiety all the time. So I'm scared all the time when I'm doing these things. It's not like I go and I do these things and I'm just like, Oh, this is fine. This is great. It's, I mean, I do some stuff that's probably like seems ignorant, but like I'm paranoid as shit all the time. I spent the first few years of being outdoors, being so scared of bears, but you have to think about where you're at. Like Bethany said, and 
like what the statistics and odds and then how to handle the things in the situation. So I run in the Appalachian Trail. So Tennessee, like Smoky Mountain National Park, Asheville, North Georgia, Bethany was in Virginia before. Like that's pretty high bear country. Like I've been to like that whole Appalachian region, especially here in the Mid-South and like South. Um, there's a lot of black bears out here. And I've seen, Regis sees them all the time when we're together and I miss them. So I mm-hmm. can only tell you how many bears that I have ran by that I didn't know because they're, they, they're big cats. And you fundamentally know that black bears are big cats. They don't want to eat you. They want your food. They're going to let you go. Regis trail runs all the time and he'll be like, there's a big bear sitting on the trail and I just had to wait for it to pass. For So for like, if you're dealing with black bears, I have a bear bell that I use mm-hmm. when I'm trail running alone. Um, I run with like one headphone in, so I use chainless plug for my Jaybirds. Um, but I use like, I'll put one headphone in if I'm in places where like, I know that I need to be listening. Um, if I, I remember like one time I was in this really sketchy back trail area in Grayson Highlands National Park, getting back, connecting to the AT alone without Regis. And it's freaked me the fuck out. So I was just like running in every like few minutes I was just smacking my trail poles together to be like hey I'm here there's someone here I played my music out loud some places it is places like the Grand Canyon and some national parks and some areas especially if you're around people it is illegal to play like loud music sometimes it's 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 fine you just have to like kind of look into it but like in that situation I was back in the middle of the woods alone and I wanted some people to hear that I was there um or like animals so I played my music out loud I smacked my trail poles together I have a bear bell for the most part, I don't bring weapons for black bears. I ran into a black bear for the first time ever two summers ago in Asheville. And my body responded before I did. I literally felt myself turn around and go back up the trail. Like my body instinctively responded. It knew. And then the thing fucking sprinted so fast. The fact that it moved that fast scared me than the, like the seeing it itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't want anything to do with me. It ran away. It was scared of me. Um, there's probably black bears all throughout Smoky Mountain National Park. I haven't seen one yet. Regis sees them all the time. It is this another thing that you have to think about too is like, I think people think that every single outdoors adventure is like this big remote middle of nowhere, super secluded thing. But a lot of these national parks are heavily traffic trails. You're not actually alone. Like you're outdoors, but you're not alone. Like if you're going to do angels landing, you're not going to see anything more than a squirrel and you're never going to be alone at any point in time. It's like the, yeah. it's literally the equivalent of walking into Walmart. Like it's like not, not, you're not that remote at all versus like, if you are doing something like if you, if I go up to North Georgia and hike on the Appalachian trail, that's actually a lot more remote than Zion is, even though it's like, you think Georgia's like AT yeah, more accessible. Yeah. Um, but like, that's like the thing with bears now if and or when I go somewhere where there's bigger bears, like brown bears, bears or grizzly bears, I'm probably going to take a lot more different precautions. I'm probably not going to go on those trails alone. I'm probably going to go like only like highly trafficked areas, or I'm going to be with like Regis or have bear spray or like talk about, look up bear sightings in the area, whatever it is. And keeping that in mind, like what kind of things that you're looking for and like making sure that you're doing the things as precautions and you know how to respond to a bear which is different than how you're supposed to respond to a mountain lion. Mountain lions, you're actually supposed to like throw rocks at them and like you still want to get big, but you want to try to get them to scurry away. But knowing statistically, the odds of seeing a mountain lion are like, they probably see you. So in Mm -hmm. the Grand Canyon, there's mountain lions. When I do the Wonderland Trail, there will be mountain lions. Um, In Zion, there are mountain lions, but most likely mountain lions. And this is hard to say because, like, I'm still scared of these animals. Like, in Zion, I wasn't scared of an animal the entire time. Like, I just, 
it's just very it's so rare that like it if if it happens like it, it it's so unlikely that it's not worth your time and energy i'm more likely to get attacked in downtown athens georgia um but knowing how to respond to the different types of animals that you might see um and then knowing what's the odds of seeing them and then how to prevent seeing them and generally if you are making enough noise i think grizzlies are the only animal that's going to like probably attack you with being unprovoked, which I'm not trying to scare anyone, but from what I've read and heard for the most part, like other stuff, as long as she hears you ahead of time, or you're not like threatening its cubs, that's the biggest thing with black bears is just staying away from its cubs. But for the most part, besides that, like, I'm not trying to downplay this guys, but like I've Googled and read every freaking thing you can. I used to think, I used to worry about seeing bears when I was in Kentucky, like in the backwoods, which is so unrealistic, but I used to be afraid of it because it, it can happen. Um, so some people might bring like other weapons, maybe if they're in like Montana or something like that, but you got to just like, like know where you're at, know what's going to be there. But I think a lot of people worry about things like wildcats and bears, but like I almost stepped on a tarantula when I was in Zion the one time and I was not anticipating that. Like I wasn't anticipating seeing a freaking tarantula, right? Or things like scorpions or snakes or things that maybe like you, it's better for you to see those and know where they're at. Cause they're probably not going to bug you. Like there was a picture in one of my photos from last year and I was trail running, taking a selfie. And there was a rattlesnake in the background that I hadn't seen. And people were like, Oh my God, are you dumb? You didn't see that. I was like, well, it was still like six feet away from me. Like from the, but for that thing to have gotten to me before I got back on trail, like it wasn't like, it can't jump at me. Right. Like a rattlesnake can't jump at me six feet over a rock. Like, like yeah I was irresponsible for not seeing it but if I was on that rock I would have seen it and just walked away like it wasn't going to jump out after me so I think things like that like in North Georgia we see rattlesnakes all the time and usually they're curled up because of the cold weather but when it's warmer out you have to check where you're stepping and knowing where you're looking and being alert so I think you have to move past the idea of just animals that are big and scary but also the little things that can also be more of a risk usually I think like that is probably like you're more likely i feel like i have a higher chance of getting bit by a rattlesnake in north georgia than i do of getting attacked by a bear it's accurate I would, I would you know what i mean that. yeah i just think i mean you said it perfectly but yeah i think the biggest thing is just knowing the land knowing what's going to be out there and what precautionary things you can do yeah and, and weighing your risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. Like I definitely get scared running alone in the back of the Appalachian trail, but honestly, it's more risky for me to run into a freaking crazy man, literally a man. It's going to be a man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so weigh your options and like, you can do these outdoor things and don't think of everything having to be like, it seems like the outdoors is like this big, crazy, scary remote thing. But a lot of times last summer when people were like, aren't you scared to do these big long trail runs alone? I'm like, I when I'm alone without Regis I pick sections of trail that I know are heavily trafficked so like you're Mm -hmm. passing someone every so many miles or there's a park attached or like a major hike as a middle part of what you're doing so it is going to feel less stressful but if there's a lot of people around animals are not around or the black bears that come into Smoky Mountain are coming because they're going to steal people's food so they're coming for your pizza yeah how'd your pizza yeah so someone else asked carrying a protection against wild animals and I kind of went over all those things Favorite view, we kind of already talked about that that morning coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, tra- packing to travel via airplane for backpacking. Again, Bethany packed her physical backpack. I have a North Face duffel that I just put all of my gear and I just use that for all of my trips. There's a, the, it's like the, they have, the, I have one in like every size. I have an extra small, a, a small, 
a large and XL duffel reason I have them. They're, they're black something. Patagonia has one too. Black. I don't even remember what it's called. North face or Patagonia have like the same version of each brand. They have a lot of base camp duffels. Um, yeah. Or, whatever or, they or are. Base camp. Yeah. There's t- Patagonia, um, Helly Hansen, like all of the North Face, so all those big brands are gonna have duffel bags, and they're just these thick bags that are gonna last you forever. Like they're a great investment. Them. That's pretty much all they are. Yeah, hydration reservoirs, packs that we used for Zion. We both just have bladders. I think I have an old Nathan one. Um, yeah. They have ones of every kind. Like go to REI.com and look at bladders. There's a million kinds that you can get. Um, safety on trail in general. Um, I've Do you done want to take that one? Yeah. yeah. I've done a post on this. I made a reel on it. I actually have another post. Probably, I'll probably make it this week now. Um, it's been in my pipeline. And I think just being vigilant is a really big one, um, especially if we are going solo. I mean, just some of the basic things are not make sure you can hear something. So I run with one headphone in. List runs with one headphone in. Listen to music out loud. Um, if people are passing, be respectful. Turn it down. Every so often, take a quick look at your surroundings, pay attention to what's going on, travel on something. Um, if you're uncomfortable, that is well-traveled, that you know there's directions for, that you know where you're going, have a general idea of where you're going, bring a friend, um, let someone know, hey, Bryce, that's my husband. I'm going to be gone for about 45 minutes. I'm running the blue trail. Cool. It's been an hour. Where is Bethany? Like, let someone know. If you don't have a significant other, that's fine. Text your friend, text your mom. Text your coworker, hey, I'll check back in when I get home. If something goes wrong, okay, then they'll they'll know because you were supposed to be gone back in an hour. Um, I actually just had a recent kind of a uh, scare with, I was on a four mile run on a very local trail. Um, I ran it from my house. It was just super casual, four miles. And we had really bad pollen storm. A windstorm came, long story short. Um, I couldn't breathe on trail because of the amount of pollen that kind of got shaken off the trees and it was really scary. Um, I, it was, I I couldn't make a phone call. I couldn't do any of these things. So like knowing you could plan as best you can and something still super funky may happen. So I'm always traveling on trails where I know someone's going to coming up behind me or Bryce knew. So you would have called me in an hour. Um, I just bought, uh, or Bryce bought me a road ID. Um, so me and Liz have just kind of posted about those in our stories, but it has my name, my address, two points of contact and my, all of my allergies. So if something was to happen, whether you were walking down the road or if you were on trail, if you're at the grocery store and something happened, you'd be able to be identified very quickly, a point of contact number and like who you are. You're not just some Jane Doe or some John Doe. You are Alyssa Olenek. You are Bethany Taylor. So that's kind of been a new thing for me is just quick identification and accessibility. It's very affordable. Um, and I just kind of wanted to plug that. I'm not sponsored by them by any means, but I had a little peace of mind knowing if I was to not be able to breathe on trail, if something super weird happened, someone would know who I was and they would be able to call Bryce or my dad right away. So that was, my yeah, story. <laughs> I think that's, I think like with, I run with Regis a lot, but also we don't really run, run together. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, I do feel safer, but sometimes we'll run and we'll do different things or different longer or shorter. And we're not always together the whole day. And I will say, I do feel a significantly more peace of mind when I'm not with him. Cause I can kind of turn off part of my brain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's nice. I can kind of zone out. I like racing too, because in races, you don't really have to worry about safety at all. I mean, yeah, 
you, I'm not saying you're ignorant, but there's yeah. so many people and aid stations and crew. Like if anything, if you were to sprain your ankle or fall or bonk or something happened, like you're just, you don't have to stress about it. You kind of just focus on the day. And a lot of this, some of those races are just so well populated or yeah. accessible or whatever. Um, but when I'm doing my bigger trail, I mean, I've done 18 to 25 mile days on my own and it's not, you know, it's not like I'm like, it's so scary that it doesn't make it worth it for me. Um, but I will say like the more time I spend on the same trails, running them over and over again, the less scary it gets. A lot of that fear I, I self create. Um, and I know that, or I know what parts or sections of trails I can run that are more accessible or less sketchy. Honestly, some of the stuff out in the East coast around Appalachia is not sketchy because of animals or remoteness. It's because like really sketch people can access them. Like there was one time I was running on the AT and there was a rainstorm moving in and I wanted to go up to the Trey Mountain Peak here in Georgia. Um, and there was a bunch of like very cliche North Georgia mountain people with like guns and shot and trucks at the top of this place where it's more accessible. So being vigilant around gaps, like especially in the mm -hmm. AT region, like gaps in like Colorado or maybe the PCT or the gaps aren't like, some dude could drive up in his truck with a shotgun. Like they're so remote that no one is really out there on the East coast. Those trails are a lot more accessible. So being where, like if I have to pee, I do not pee at the gaps. You know what I mean? Like I might take a headphone out when I'm in those areas, if I'm extra concerned. Um, usually though, if there's gaps or peaks, there's signals. So at least you know that like, you know, like you can, you can tell someone if you need to be, tell someone where you're at. Um, I rest in peace knowing that most middle-aged crazy dudes in North Georgia probably cannot catch me if I start to run away from them. Um, I rest in peace knowing that. Um, but generally I go to places first with Regis. I get to know them. And eventually all the places in North Georgia that seem scary at first, like I can run on them now all the time. And there's some mm -hmm. sections of it that do feel sketchier than others, like back trails or cut trails um, or anywhere that are, honestly, I'm more scared where a road accesses the trail. That's truly like, that's where I would be more vigilant. I think you, it's easy to think that like the back of the middle of nowhere is where that's more scary because if you had something medically related happen, it's higher risk, not mm -hmm. because you're going to be attacked. Like the places that you're going to let your guard down is going to be where it feels more civilized, but where it's more civil. Like I posted this last year, my trail safety post, and a couple of people got really mad at me for saying this, but I'm like not trying to scare people from like heavily like populated or easily accessible areas, but like. When I lived in Nashville and I ran at Percy Warner Park in downtown Nashville, there was probably a higher chance of me being attacked there or the trails in Louisville and um, the park there. And I can't remember the name of it. Those places probably have a higher prevalence of things that are riskier for women on trails there than the AT in the middle of Georgia, right? Like it seems scary because it's more remote and we can let our guard down when we're in like more populated areas. But those are the places where people can access them easier that you do need to be more vigilant. And I'm not saying that like you can't enjoy those things because they're low barrier of entry. I'm saying like, those are the places where like, if you're going to pack a weapon or pepper spray, like those are the places to do it. Those look like even Bethany's more local trail. Like she's super vigilant and close there. So I'm not trying to deter you guys mm -hmm. from doing more local stuff, but like being extra careful, like the one local trail I have here, someone's crazy wild dogs escaped their fence were on the trail chasing me once. And I was terrified and it was dogs, but you don't know because I don't know the dogs. And like, that was more of a risk than anything else for me that I've ever ran into otherwise. So mm -hmm. I know I was, I really tangent on that, but I really want to emphasize like, 
don't let your mind tell you what's safer versus whatnot. Like actually logically access at assess the situations that you're in. Yeah. Okay. We already talked about planning there and back. Um, someone asked gear. We wish we had, we brought, wish we brought a book. And I also totally mm-hmm. forgot my water filter, but it's a fine because my water filter would have been nothing for potato hollow. I use a Cadron bottle and on the East coast we're spoiled with just like little random waterfalls and springs and rivers everywhere on the trails that that's really easy. You just bring it and fill it up as you go. Potato hollow was no patch for my bottle that I forgot anyway. So we just use Bethany Sawyer. Um, <laughs> I'll list some stuff here in the show notes, but again, we both have big Agnes tents. Bethany, do you know the name of your REI pack is? Uh, it's the Flash 55, so it's a 55 liter. Yeah, Bethany has an REI pack. I have an old Gregory pack I got on Steep and Cheap, which is a great place to get clearance outdoor gear. Um, I don't. It's some 36 or 39 liter pack that I got on Steep and Cheap. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I do have um, a backcountry.com gear list of all my gear that I use, link through backcountry.com. I do get a kickback if you use my link, so I'll share it here in the thing. I also have a full trail running gear guide story highlight on my Instagram profile for, through Ultimate Direction. And again, if you shop through them, I do get kickback from my link. But you can also use other things that I don't get kickbacks from, like REI. Um, it's really about finding like what's in your price point and what you want. Stephen cheap is a great resource. That's a backcountry.com like bargain website that you can get things cheaper. Um, shoes wise, we both use ultra lone peaks. Um, Bethany's black diamond Z poles, which I used to use. I now use ultimate directions trail poles. Mm-hmm. I actually, I do really like them. I've had both. They're both great poles. Um, it's I mean, it's kind of whatever you want to use. I won't be offended if you don't like ultimate direction. I do like, I think they're a little lighter. So I do like that. Um, what else? I wore like running clothes. I wore, my... I wore trail running clothes. Yeah, I wore trail running clothes. My biggest thing is Bethany was correct. She was she pointed this out and I ended up being lucky that I kept my long sleeve on basically the whole time you we were hiking. But if I was ever to backpack again, I would have packed a t-shirt instead of a tank top. Um, just for a little bit of chafing protection. That's one thing that I would have switched out because I can mm-hmm. trail run in a tank top just fine and it never bothers me. But the pack, the way it was sitting on my I had to like adjust a few times. I, I would get a new backpacking pack if I was going to do more backpacking. My muscles and my pack just didn't, they, they weren't, they weren't friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't going to buy that for the whole trip. Um, I have a really old sleeping bag. It's a stuff, anything that you can put in a stuff sack. I have like a, a cold weather sleeping bag, not super, super cold weather. Like I want to say like 15 to 30 degrees, I think is the temperature for my sleeping bag. Um, I don't remember the name of it and I can't link it because it's literally six years old. Um, do you know the name of your bag was Bethany? Um, it was a big Agnes sunbeam, I believe. Okay. And it was a 30 degree one. And again, uh, you put it in a stuff sack to shrink the size of it. Um, uh, we both, like I said, have big Agnes tents. Um, yeah. my sleeping pad was also big Agnes. Okay. Oh, I had a, I had a, uh, sleeper light Z light pad, the folding foam one. It looks like an egg car and you can find those at any outdoor store. Yeah. Um, um, I think too, real fast, uh, with layering, it's important, especially if you're going to someplace like Zion, because we both wear pants and long sleeves and puffs to start the trail mid trail. Mm-hmm. We are down to shorts, t-shirts and long sleeves. So with packing for a trip like this, you essentially bring a layering system, base mm-hmm. layer, long sleeve sweatshirt. And then same with pants. Like I just threw a pair of joggers over my Wazelle shorts. And you essentially just do a layering system um, because as you go, you're going to get warmer and it's going to be 80 degrees during the day and it got to low 40s at night. So just being prepared for all of that by doing a layering system. 
Yeah, we both have Patagonia. Like I think it's like the, the thermal light mm-hmm. one, puffs, the thinner ones. Whatever one is a two hundred dollar one. That yeah. is the no, Bethany no. got hers on a bargain website. I got yeah. mine with my REI dividend. Whatever one is the two hundred dollar one, it's linked on my backcountry.com one. But that's the one we both have the same puff. I love that puff. I think it's the perfect mid weather layer puff i have a thicker one too um i didn't bring a rain shell we ended up i knew we weren't going to need it if there was a risk i would have packed it but just there it was going to be a waste of space we didn't need them it was zero percent chance of rain um so otherwise i have a gore-tex rain shell um that i would have brought and that's pretty much it we didn't have that much gear we didn't really bring that much stuff we have a we would, MSR camp stove, the one that you tie onto the little gas canisters. Yeah, uh, mine was from uh, GSI Outdoors, but Jetboil makes yeah. one. Um, nothing super fancy. We brought Mountain House meals. You could have, again, done your own ramen or something like that. Uh, there's a ton of YouTube videos on different camp options for stoves. We could have done something super bougie, but we just heated water up, put it in our the actual dry dehydrated food bags, let it sit for 10 minutes and ate it. So uh, we both did post on gear. Um, I know I did a gear post too. So everything can be there or you can just DM me and ask me. Yeah. So I know people probably want like this extensive gear list, but we don't, I had old gear. Bethany has probably the most newest, nicer stuff. Mine was all very new things that I will very slowly be replacing probably over time. Um, But really we just brought normal stuff that you're going to get on any standard backpacking thing that was light enough that we carry, but not ultra light, not really Mm -hmm. expensive. Like our sleeping bags took up half our pack kind of thing. Um, we ate, Bethany brought this camp food. I had ramen. Like I was just going to eat ramen. Otherwise that's a classic, easy, like cheap way to eat. You don't need to buy these fancy meals if you don't want to. Um, oatmeal, ramen. That's what I've always eaten camping, um, canned chicken (laughs) and mashed potatoes, instant mashed potatoes, but whatever you want to do. Um, I think that covers most of it when it comes to gear, planning logistics. The only thing that we didn't cover is that people want to know how we trained for this and we didn't, um, <laughs> but we did. We did, but we didn't. So obviously me and Alyssa have been doing, I ran my first ultra in December of last year. I'm training for one in October. So we both, um, come from a background of lifting and running. And that obviously did support us on this trip because we were like, hey, we could have done a 20 mile day and been fine. Um, But when choosing your trip, I think it's important, unless you can talk more of like, Mm -hmm. I I could literally list all the things that we do in our training, but picking a trip, understanding vert, what you're going to be walking up or on or around in mileage that you can um, do sustainably. Cause you don't want to do a 30 mile day. If you haven't come from a building a base of running or hiking or strength, um, just making sure you're biting off the appropriate amount that you can chew and not saying like some people may be five miles. Some people may be able to do 15. Um, we personally, like I said, didn't train for this because we both have backgrounds. Um, but Alyssa, I'm sh- I'll let you take this way. Littlest method. Well, plug in shamelessly, but no, but this is like what I do with clients. Like I can't tell you, and this is my favorite thing. So as much as I'm like, Oh, I didn't train for this. What I mean, like, is like, I didn't like plan this trip and do a, build a specific training split for it. I just kept doing what I normally do. And I added back in running about two months before two and a half months before the trip. And I did intentionally try to get up to a running distance that like would support the aerobic fitness that I needed for this day. Um, but I really could have just gone and winged it and been fine. Like it wouldn't have been yeah. that big of a deal, but that's because I have the fitness that affords me to do this because of the years of things I've done before. So that's not like I woke up one day and I could do it. Um, 
So the biggest thing is I think if you start day hiking enough and paying attention to vert profiles and ascending and descending and what that means and what that means to you over distance, because there's a lot difference between a flat, no gain 10 mile hike and a 10 mile hike with like 8,000 feet of gain and loss or one that's 4,000 gain, 4,000 loss. Like these things are all so different and what they mean. It's different. Like if you're in the Grand Canyon and you're going straight up and straight down, that's very different than Zion where it kind of like, someone did ask me this in the Q&A and I beautifully drew it out, saved to my Zion highlight, where you're kind of going up and down and up and down. So you're not just getting all the vert at once or descending all at once. That's how most trails usually work unless you're in something like a big canyon, like the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Um, but thinking about what you're training for specificity, this is specificity. But we do this with my clients. You don't need, like, you can use a trail-specific training plan, but having general overall whole body strength, lower body and upper body, you're carrying things. And I do this with my trail runners. I do this with my clients in general who just want to pursue general health and fitness and muscular adaptations or people who want to train for hiking is I give you a lot of step-ups, lunges, single leg RDLs on top of things like your back squats, your deadlifts, like your front squats, whatever, your hip thrusts, whatever it is that you're doing to develop your lower body. And then also getting us building a strong upper body too. We're not just neglecting our upper body that is carrying weight or propelling you forward or like stabilizing your body. Core is huge here, especially on trails, things like your dead bugs, your hollow rocks, your farmers farmers carries, your overhead carries, your suitcase carries, your, your, your standing marches with weight. Like these are the things that I'm giving my clients to develop your core and lower body and like glutes all the way to your ankles so that you have the ability to like stabilize and control, especially with downhills, because that's where like a lot of that core strength and that like eccentric stability that you want to have, especially like in your quads, like your braking system, you're developing your braking system. But then you also want to make sure you have a cardiovascular base to allow you to do this. So not only being able to handle the time that you're going to be on feet, which you can get through running, um, or you can just hike, you know what I mean? Like, or stair step. I do a lot of stair stepping. If you, if you're only going to hike and you don't want to do a ton of running, like, you know, finding ways to develop a cardiovascular base, a low zone training is something I preach, but that's going to help a ton here. And then mixing in those higher, harder intensities can be helpful. Um, but you're also getting a lot of that in your strength training too, but that can help you push on those bigger climbs and have that power and capacity to do that. Um, but this is what I do. Um, Ultra, my ebook, Ultra, if you are interested in more trail running and a lot of that information actually can help you with hiking too. I do have a small section that like breaks down like ways to train for vertical gain and loss. So going uphill and downhill and um, building up like specific lower body lifts that help support that, like what I suggest with that. But like my clients and Littlest Method, I love it because they will do Littlest Method for three, six, nine months a year and they'll go and do some big hike and they'll be like, holy shit, I smoked all of my friends. Like, <laughs> holy crap, I will not be mad at you for all the step-ups you gave me anymore because I was so strong. And last time I did this, it beat me up. And so don't neglect just like how much being physically fit as a whole and working towards that um, allows you to do these things in general. So having like a solid, like at least two to four day a week lifting split with like getting in like maybe three to four conditioning days a week is probably like what me and Bethany are both doing now. Like everyone's volume is different, but like I train, I think not that much more than you per week. Cause I program you. I think my lifts are longer, mm-hmm. but we do pretty similar. Like Bethany yeah. lifts three days a week right now. And just mm-hmm. one like CrossFit day. Um, and, and then I have her runs. running 
three runs. Yeah. Three runs, one cross training day and, and three lifts. And then I do four days of lifting, three running and one cross training day. So a little bit more, but it's not like yeah. I was like out there smoking Bethany, yeah, like on the trail. Reason. Like we yeah, were like both reason. fine. And when I did that years ago, I wasn't as in good a shape as I am now, but that was the first time I trained for something like that. Cause I had gone to Colorado that summer before and it kicked my ass and I felt like an idiot because <laughs> I was felt so out of shape. And all I did was get up to, I think like a 10 K running distance base and started doing single leg work. And like, don't, I know that like really seems rudimentary, but like, don't overcomplicate it. Like, what are you going to be doing when you're out there? How can you mimic that in training? Like, that's all I do when I program for clients for things like that too. Like Bethany's training for her, her second 50 K and Bethany can tell you how many step ups and lunges I'm already giving her and single leg work. And like, it, it's silly, but it's simple and it works. And we do the heavy it's compounds effective. too. And it, but it, it works. Cause you're literally just doing step ups. Uh, that's what you're doing when you're hiking, yeah. you're doing step ups with weight on your back. Like that's what you're doing. And so, I mean, I, Bethany jokes that I'm a mountain goat, but like I do so much shit on single leg all the time. And then don't underestimate too like experience and hiking to train for hiking. Like yep. even if you, you don't have to go do like, like I do a long run and trail every single weekend when I'm training for an ultra, but if you're training to hike, go once or twice a month, like on the weekend and like that can be fine to help you train and get used to that and like practice what you're doing. So hopefully that helps answer. But the goal ultimately should be that you're at a fitness capacity that you can do these things that you want to do. And then unless you want to do something really, really big, like when I did the Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim, where I had to have a certain fitness status for that, mm-hmm. most things you can do. So when I did the Grand Canyon 20 mile loop last year, I hadn't ran more than nine miles on a long run, but I could just send it on that one day and have to recover and be fine. And you start to learn that capacity within your body. Like, yeah, it kind of wrecked me, but I also knew I had the capacity to do it and push it with just, and just had to afford that extra recovery. Um, and then now I know next time I went there that I'd be like, oh, I'd probably do a little bit more downhill before I went out here yeah. again. And you kind of learn that as you go. Um, and, and as long as you have enough, I'll go, I was going to say, as long as you have enough food and water, you can usually dry yourself out of something. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And super fast. I'm going to add on to that for people who don't live at vert and for people who don't have access to techie elevation, vertical climbs, you can simulate that. Like I did. Um, I lived in Virginia beach. It was flat as fuck. There was, you had to go to Shenandoah to get any sort of vert. So I literally would do, we, there's a place called Mount trash marsh this giant grass hill. I wore my pack and I hiked up and down that bitch. Or you can find a stadium and you can do stairs. Like mm-hmm. there's different ways to train. Yes, you're not on trail, uh, but you're still getting that modality in a flat region. So yeah, uh, yeah. No, and that's most of you guys are probably listening to this coming from flat. And I do a ton of vert training. I, Athens is, has hills, but like you guys, if you follow along in any of my fitness ultra running journey for the last few years, if you're not super new, you remember me doing hill repeats and I'm always on a stair stepper and like, I'm always doing step ups and I'm always doing all this shit. And now it's really paying off and it's super great and awesome. But again, shameless plug ultra, even if you don't <laughs> want to train for an ultra has a whole section on how to train for vert. If you don't, if you live on flat land, like I literally write it out for you in there, or you could do my programs and they'll basically indirectly do that for you. Shameless plug. Um, so on that note, the coupon code for next season is messy middle. What is it? Messy middle season three. And you can use that if you want. I'll shamelessly plug that in. I think it's messy. It's messy middle three. Messy middle three is the coupon code for next season, but this is the last episode of season two. And I didn't plug in a coupon code the whole season. And I'm so stupid for that. 
Um, and I think that gets you 15% off one product. So I would go get ultra if that's what you're interested in. Cause that's basically like going to lay out how to filter water, how to train for the hike, like training for a trail mm -hmm. up and down gear. It won't cover gear for backpacking or camping, but it will cover like day stuff. Um, so if you're interested in that, you don't have to use the, the programs for running in it, but it does have all that information like laid out for you, how to find trail safety on trails. A lot of that stuff's in there. Cause trail running is just fast hiking. According to my Instagram followers, it, when I run ultras, it's just fast hiking and anyone can do it. Fuck off. I, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> fast hiking is hard. So yeah, anyway, that you guys can use that if you would like before season three comes out. That's your gift for listening to this very final finale of season two episode. Uh, Messy Middle 3 is the 15% off coupon. And I think that's it. I think we covered anything, everything. I think that was I think good. we exhausted it. That was a lot. That was a lot. This is like an hour and 43 minutes. We're not going to split this. You guys want this information. It's yours. Um, Here you go. Very information heavy. So if you guys plan a trip, you do something fun, epic, tag us in it, share. If you listen to this, please tag us, share on your profile. If you learn something, like we love to see it. We love to know, rate, review, subscribe, download. Those things help the metrics of the podcast mm -hmm. so, so, so much. Um, and on that note, this is the end of Messy Middle Season 2. I hope you guys loved this season. Um, we put a lot of uh, a lot of work into it, and I think it was a little bit mixed. The mix-up was a lot better than Season 1, even though Season 1 absolutely crushed it. If you guys haven't caught the episodes, catch up now. Um, we're going to take a big break before we head into Season 3. I have a lot of really ex um, exciting content planned for that as well. So if you guys are excited for that, please let me know what you love from this season. Hopefully we're going to replicate it and blow your minds even more with that going into season three. We're going to take a short break, but in that time, catch up on everything that you missed. Like there's so much information that we have shared this season in season one. And if you like this episode with Bethany today, go back and listen to her original interview on the podcast, because I think that is our either it's one of our top like if not top two, top five episodes that we have out there, people love Bethany for good reason. So um, thank you, Bethany, for doing this with me. Thank you for going to Zion with me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Miss Olenek. Yeah. So hopefully Bethany and I can have more adventures and maybe someday we'll get to invite you guys on them as well. So until next time, we want you to live well, demand better and stay messy. We'll catch you on next season, guys. <laughs>